Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Please, if you would, have a seat. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. The diet industry in America is a multi-billion dollar industry. Obesity rates climb across the country and the globe. People are looking for the easiest way to lose weight. While there are some conditions that cause people to gain weight uh, or lose weight because of whatever impact it has on their body, Usually, like in my case, I gain weight almost directly proportional to the amount of junk that I eat. And as you know, I like junk. Now, I don't like garbage, right? So we don't do Brussels sprouts and things like that. I like chocolate and sugar and those things. But we know that we, for the most part, lose or gain weight proportionally to the amount of calories that we consume versus the amount of activity that we produce. Um, We have the equation, eat less, move more. You lose weight. Uh, There are some nuances to that one way or the other. But if losing weight were easy, we would all be thin. If being in shape didn't require working out, we would all be in shape. I'm in shape. Round is a shape. So I am in shape. Even following these simple guidelines, though, we find it difficult. I know exactly what it takes for my body to lose weight. I know how many calories I have to burn to lose X amount of weight. And I watch it pretty close. It's actually fairly easy. But if we know, hey, if I do this, I'll lose weight and I'll be in shape. I'll have a happier life or a longer life or whatever that may be. Why don't we do it? Well, because it's hard, right? For me, meal planning is not my thing. My plan is grab a steak, throw it on the grill, and cook it and eat it. If it goes beyond that, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm, I'm fairly simple. It really comes down to, unless it's super easy, and unless I'm committed, and unless I'm really just dialed in on it, I'm not likely to do it. Likewise, we have the same struggle as Christians, right? There are fundamentals to the Christian faith that we often neglect. Things like reading the Bible. Things like praying. 
Things like tithing and fellowshipping and attending church. All of these things that are fundamental to the Christian faith that we often neglect, even though they're relatively simple. Now, prayer is kind of interesting because we oftentimes get caught up in the hows. Well, how exactly should we pray? And I know, at least for me, um, praying out loud, you can't help but wonder, um, how are people judging my prayer? Am I doing an adequate job? Am I praying too long or too short? Am I making sense? Am, are my prayers eloquent? We've all been in the presence of people and they're praying and they pray these amazing, eloquent prayers. And then we talk and it's like, mm, or we pray and it's like, I, I just, you know, we get caught up in that. We're actually self-conscious about how we pray. And the disciples, I'm not suggesting they were, they just said, Lord, we don't know how. John taught his disciples how to pray. Could you teach us how to pray? And Jesus says, hey, this is not difficult. When you pray, say this. Now I have to tell you, when uh, I was young, um, I was saved and grew up by and large in the church. But still my prayer life, I always saw as something very private. I would have these conversations in prayer. And I went away to college and I had a friend invite me one time to a prayer group. And we went there, and the prayer, they asked me to pray out loud. And it turns out the way I prayed wasn't exactly what they had in mind. I probably used a few words that, you know, there's just some things you don't say in certain, yeah. Well, I used some of those words. So it was a while before they asked me to pray again. That's okay. I'm still praying for them and their judgmental attitude. And <laughs> So Jesus is praying. And He's praying in a certain place. We don't know where the place is. And He finishes praying. And they're listening. They can hear Jesus praying. And one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught His disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this. So they had seen him pray time and time again. They had heard him pray. They wanted to know how to do that. There was probably this conversation, Lord, what are you doing? And he says, hey, when I pray, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to God Almighty. And they're probably like, I want to talk to God Almighty. How do I do that? How do I enter into that? Right? And so, uh, it's something that even the most seasoned Christian really wants to do better. How do we have those effectual prayers? How do we have the prayers that God listens to? And the truth is, of course, God listens to every prayer. Right? 
Generally speaking, my best prayers are the prayers I pray when I'm just alone and driving to the store or driving to the gym or wherever I may be. I'm just kind of alone and I'm doing my thing and I'm praying. And it's not fancy. I don't usually begin with, um, you know, Heavenly Father. I usually just say, Lord, you know, there's this. Just as though he's standing right there and having that talk with him. So in Luke 11.2, he says, do this, say this when you pray. And so he begins with, uh, Father, hallowed be your name. Now as Jesus is telling them, pray this, right? When we look at this in Matthew, he says, pray like this, it really is not that he's asking us to pray exactly this prayer. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. Just pray this. Nobody's, and nor is he saying pray this over and over and over in rote uh, memorization and, and um, just saying it over and over. Repetition. Having a hard time finding that word. And so he's just saying pray like this. And he begins with, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, first when we pray, we're to acknowledge God's majesty. To the King of ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, as Timothy wrote in 1.17. He is the first and the last the Alpha, the Omega, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, righteous God of the universe. And then in Acts 17.24, it says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives all to mankind life and breath and everything. Right? This is the God, the ascetic, the omniscient, the omnipotent, the all-wise God that we serve. And we live in a world where even in churches, the majesty of God has gone out the window. We have people that will read the Bible and then teach what they want that's not even in there or is directly opposed to that as though God isn't all of these things. Right? We know of His imminence. Now, when we're talking about God, one of the things is this idea of imminence, His proximity to us. And a lot of people and a lot of churches and all of us really talk about Jesus and His closeness, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, remember the bumper stickers? They, some of you, I don't know. In the 70s and early 80s, it was real common. These bumper stickers started showing up on cars that said, God is my co-pilot as though he's sitting in the front seat, right? Well, then other people said, well, that's not really good because then that 
kind of puts God second in command. So they stepped it up. Right? They were just a little bit better than that. They put on bumper stickers that said, God is my pilot. My God is better than your God. I can let him drive. And by the looks of it, they let go of the wheel, some of them. So this idea of imminence, this closeness. Jesus is my buddy, my pal, my friend. He walks with me on the beach. He carries me through the hard times. This idea of imminence. And certainly, imminence is okay. There is this closeness. And when you're talking to God and you're by yourself and you're walking, talk to Him like your friend. He's your friend. Right? The buddy, the pal. And when we call someone on the phone, of course, the first thing we do is introduce ourselves. And how you see God based on whether you see Him as imminent or the idea of right transcendent will determine how you introduce yourself. So the transcendence of God is this majestic, unknowable, all-powerful, always existing, Alpha the Omega, this unbelievable God, right? This is His transcendence. We'll never fully know Him. So, is God imminent? Question, answer. Okay, perfect. Is God imminent? Yes. Is God transcendent? Yes. Right? This, I mean, He is both. Now, when I call on the phone, if I call you, I'll say, uh, usually I mess this up. Hi, this is John. And I'll call church members and introduce myself as John. And they'll say, um, which John? But if I say, Pastor John, they know exactly who I am, right? So, of course, it depends how we introduce ourselves. If you walk into a room and you see a group of people, if it's someone I know and I love and I care about, I'll walk up, give them a hug. Hey, how's it going? If I don't know them, I'll walk up. Hi, my name's John, and we'll shake hands. And of course, their stature might make a difference, right? You'll introduce yourself to someone you meet on the street differently than you would introduce yourself, for instance, to the Queen of England, who you would never touch or approach and don't speak until she speaks to you, or the President uh, of the United States, or another highly uh, elected official. However it is, the introductions kind of change. When introductions aren't needed, we talk very differently than when introductions are, right? The whole first impressions. If I already know someone, they already know me, good, bad, indifferent. But someone I meet the first time, introductions are important. So he says, when you pray, start with this, Father, hallowed be your name. We're to begin our prayers with praying that His name would be highly regarded as sacred and holy in the whole world. That's where we begin. God, I recognize who You are. 
And then in Luke 2c, it says, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God has been a central theme of Christ's teaching, right? He's always saying, go and teach about the kingdom of God. And when we come before the Lord with prayer, our first concern is not those things that affect us, those day-to-day things that we're really struggling with. Rather, our first concern is the success and the extension of the kingdom of God. Right? The reason that we exist is to share the gospel message with everyone we meet. Our primary concern is the extension of the kingdom of God. Some of you say, no, my primary concern is my children. Okay, your primary concern is to raise your children to be Christians in the faith and to be good, upstanding citizens so that they can share the gospel, right? That they would be extending the kingdom of God. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. And we should be loving and supporting and encouraging one another to share the gospel. But this is the first thing we pray. This is what Jesus taught him first. Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. It's so ironic that we spend many more hours in prayer praying people out of the kingdom than we do praying them into the kingdom. We spend more time praying people out of the kingdom than we do praying people into the kingdom. Right? Because we're like, Lord, heal them. Heal them. Fix them. We don't want them to die. Worst case scenario, if I die, where do I go? I go to be with the Lord. Right? To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And I'm not suggesting you shouldn't pray for healing. Yes, pray for healing. But also pray for faithfulness. Right? Those who endure to the end. But don't pray them out of the kingdom. Don't say, Lord, by all means, save them. Know that, Father, thank You. If they don't know You, draw them to Yourself. If they do know You, Father, love them where they are. Whatever that may look like in the end. But for those we know that don't know the Lord, we should be making lists and we should be... um, uh, Waiting in attack. Meaning we should be praying for them constantly. Lord, this person doesn't know You. I pray for them. And love them. And encourage them. And let them know, right? Hey, I care about You. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go in and um, harp on them and attack them. and That's not the case. All they need to know is that You love them. Occasionally that you're praying for them. And pray for them. We need to be faithful to pray. Then in Luke 11.3, he says, Give us this day our daily bread. 
It's so funny. My daughter posted this thing on Instagram. I should have played it. She's sitting there, and I don't know anything about Instagram. It's not her voice. It's someone else's voice. But she says, dear God, it's me. And then there's this voice. I know. She says, you know what? I know it's you. You don't have to say that. I know it's you. He said, you know, you say, dear God, it's me. I know it's you. She said, okay, okay. Dear God, you're not writing a letter. You don't have to say that. She's like, would you just let me do this? Starts again, dear God. It's like, I already know. You know what? He goes, I know what you're going to say. What am I about to say? Right? It's this conversation. God knows what our needs are. He says, but when you pray, say yes. God, give us each day our daily bread. God knows exactly what we need. The problem is, we don't always know what we need. We always know what we want, but sometimes not what we need. Now this verse, of course, harkens back to Israel. Is wandering around in the desert and they're like, hey, we're hungry. So Moses prays. God says, hey, I'm going to provide bread. And then, when they wake up, tell the people, gather their bread. And those that gathered a lot, you know, like me, I'd be like, hey, I need more jars. It's going to be a long day. They had enough. And the people that gathered a little, it says they were still filled. But what happened when people gathered the bread? Because God said, I'm going to provide this every day. On Friday, I'm going to provide extra so that you don't need to collect it on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. So that day, go ahead and collect extra. But don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to provide it every day. And then there were some people that came along and they're like, oh yeah, this is but I don't really know if there's going to be extra. I'll pick another jar of bread up off the ground. What happened to that bread? Right? It was infected with maggots. And it says it stunk. And Moses got mad. Right? They could eat as much as they wanted. They could collect all that they could eat. But they had to trust the Lord that He would provide anew every morning. That's what Jesus is saying. Look, part of this is praying, Lord, let me see, let me trust that You will provide for my needs anew every morning. He knows what we need to survive and He prays that I, He tells, teaches us that we should pray that our needs would be provided for each day. That we would have enough to eat, enough to drink, enough uh, the clothes to wear and, and shelter. So, so far we see in Jesus' example that we are one, to acknowledge His majesty. Number two, we're to pray for the success and the extension of the kingdom of God. And three, we would pray that God... Um, boy, I messed that one up. Pray that God would pray. We don't need to pray that God would pray. He doesn't need to pray to Himself. We would pray that God would provide for our daily needs. 
That was my mistake. I wrote it wrong in my notes. <clears throat> and you'll see it again at the end of the service. So in Luke 4 then, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And I know that you're not aware of this. And some of you, this is going to be a shock, but I'm a sinner. I know I'm alone in that. It's one thing, among others, that we all have in common, right? There's one person that has walked on this earth who never sinned, and that was Jesus Christ Himself. Everyone else blows it, usually quite regularly, and oftentimes not even knowing it. But we like to play this game. Well, their sin is worse than my sin. Right? We act so shocked. It was like Will Smith. He walks up on stage. And we're like, I can't believe he just did that. And then we get in the car and most of us sin. I, you know, really, sin has doubled since the invention of the automobile. At least. We get in that car and it's like, no one can see me sin now. We come up with a whole new sign language, all new words, just different things we can. We're all sinners. One sin, no matter how minor, made condemnation and how absolutely justifiable. We cannot stand before a holy God and be sinners. And we play this game. I'm so glad, right? None of my kids are in prison. No, but they're elected officials who should all be in prison. I'm an equal opportunity uh, attacker when it comes to politicians, as we all know. Not that their sins are worse than my own, which is the point I'm trying to make. When we sin, we sin against God Himself. And He has set a standard. We should ask God for forgiveness. And David asks this way in Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The Bible tells us that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we will but ask. He will remove them as far as the east is from the west. Regularly, we should be seeking God's forgiveness where we have sinned against Him. And that's often hard because that means we set aside our pride and say, Lord, I failed You. Walking hand in hand with God forgiving us 
we need to forgive others. And this is so hard, but it's absolutely fundamental to the Christian walk. That is that we extend to others the forgiveness that God has extended to us. It is only because He's forgiven us, only because we've experienced it, that we're even able to offer that to others. Having a forgiving heart is often so difficult. And usually that's because we confuse forgiveness with hurt. And this is where we have to draw a line between the two. You can actually be hurt by someone and still forgive them. You can forgive them and still be working on the hurt. That's okay. Forgiving them is saying, Lord, I'm just putting this in Your hands. I'm not going to be worried about this. I don't think bad about the person. I don't... I'm hurt. Lord, help me with my hurt. But Father, I forgive them. This is up to You. That's all forgiveness is. But a lot of times then people say, I just can't forgive them. And I'll say, well, did you forgive them? And you're just hurt and dealing with the hurt. Because you can deal with hurt for years having forgiven them way back here. But in our minds, we've confused the two. Don't be so hard on yourself when you say every day, Lord, I forgive them, but you're still having to deal with the hurt. That's an entirely different issue. Right? And we all struggle. I know for me, I can get upset and it takes me a while to remember that I am also the one who needs to be forgiven. Right? It's like, Lord, I need to forgive them because I need that forgiveness myself. And forgiving people who may never even realize that they need forgiven, and maybe they realize it and they will never ask. We're still supposed to forgive. And then he says in verse 4, the second half of verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. And this verse can be so confusing. We know that God is holy and righteous and would never lead us into temptation. What we're praying here is that God would put a hedge around us that we wouldn't find ourselves as we're on our journey naked and exposed to temptation. So James 1, verse 13 and 14 tells us that we're never tempted by God, but rather we're tempted when we are led astray by our own desires. Right? Those things that we really want. Maybe it's something that's an addiction, right? And it can be drugs or alcohol or food or sex or whatever it may be. We're tempted when we're led astray by our own desires. And so what they're praying here, what Jesus is saying is pray that God helps you keep your focus on where He's taking you and not to be led astray this way or that way and to fall off the path. And we all do fall off that path. 
We're all led astray by our desires that leads to temptation. And if you read in James 1, beyond 13 and 14, you see the outcome because ultimately that turns into sin and sin ultimately turns into death. Something we see. So Jesus gave His disciples an easy template to follow. Giving us as His disciples an easy template to follow. Prayer isn't hard. We don't need to make it harder than it is. It's having a conversation with God and God desperately wants to converse with us. So we see that when we pray, we should number one, acknowledge the majesty of God. Secondly, we should pray for the success and the extension of the kingdom of God. That we would pray that God would provide for our daily needs. That God would forgive us of our sins. God would give us a loving and forgiving heart. And that God would protect us, number six, from temptation. The disciplines of the Christian walk shouldn't be overcomplicated. They're all grounded in relationship. If you can talk, you can pray. If you can talk, you can witness. And you don't even have to talk to witness. It's how we live our life. But it's not hard to pray. And God desperately wants to have a conversation with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that although being transcendent and holy and mighty and righteous, You also desire desperately that relationship with us. That regular conversation with us. Father, we pray that we would be willing to walk with You in good times and bad. Father, we see Adam, when he had sinned against You, he hid himself. Father, help us not to hide ourselves, but rather know that so great was Your love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Truly, You're an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.